Welcome to Waking Up From Breaking Up, the podcast all about breakups with real experiences from ordinary and everyday people. My name is Ira J, and I'm your host. So this week, we talk with my friend Enda. Enda's this really caring guy. He's a really good friend, and if you ever need any help, he would be one of the first people to help you out. And he talks about his story and his dynamics with his family and how he kind of found himself by distancing himself physically, mentally, from his family. But emotionally, he always cared, and he'll always care for his family, especially his brother, Killian. I'm going to let you guys listen to the interview. It's very intriguing. It's very long, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And yeah, and don't forget to stay tuned for the reflection section at the very end of the episode. And thank you for listening. Um, hello, Enda. Hello. <laughs> hello, IRJ. <laughs> um, I like that you called me my, my full name because uh, <laughs> no one really does. <laughs> they have a hard time even saying Ira, to be honest. I feel it's kind of got an Irish twang to it, Ira. Ira, it does it. Yeah, well, I don't know. Sounds kind of Irishy to me. So. We've known each other through soccer. That's Weird. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two years? Yeah, it's at I'd say two and a half years nearly now. Yeah, before the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. We just started playing um, co-ed soccer. That's right. That's right. How long have you been in Vancouver? About three years now. But there was that time when I went home for a period and then came back um, when my dad passed away. Your dad passed away when? So that would have been in right before the pandemic. So 2019. 2019, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, because you you have an interesting relationship with your family. Everybody has an interesting relationship with their family, right? Everyone's got the goods and the bads and the drama. And it's hard because family, you're, you grew up with them. The basis of your your beliefs, your your patterns, your the way you look at life comes from growing up with your family, right? But sometimes it doesn't resonate with us. For so, sure. So tell us about the struggles that you've had with loving your family and being with your family. Sure. Um, so I was the eldest um, in my family out of three brothers. I have no sisters. Um, so I, Your poor mom? <laughs> yeah, my poor mom. Uh, and my youngest brother, there's quite a gap between me and my youngest brother. is 11 years. But uh, I remember being so excited uh, when my mom got pregnant and they told me we we're going to have another, because it was such a shock for me and my other brother, Killian, because we're quite close in age, two and a half years between us. And then on my 11th birthday, my mom went into labor and, and had Jerry, my youngest brother, oh. at my birthday party. No way! <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was delivered in the end on the 8th, so I was born in the 7th. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So Killian, you you and him are close together. We're close in age, um, okay. but we're so different. We're like polar opposites yeah. personality-wise, whereas yeah. my youngest brother is, I feel like... Uh, very similar to me personality wise okay he's not like an in-between between you and Killian. i don't think so no I, he'd definitely be more me i think than killian um and i think killian it was more like my dad um his um outgoing personality um and you know being kind of the center of attention um a lot of charisma and like my dad was a salesman so like that kind of went hand in hand with his personality and and Killian definitely has that about him. So at the moment, he's selling like uh, spaces at um, 
conventions you know like if you want to rent a booth like at an engineering convention in ireland he sells it to you so did you guys butt heads because you're so personality yeah yeah Yeah, when we were growing up like i like i was hard on him i'd imagine like i but he was a pain in the ass (laughs) (laughs) he probably thinks the same thing of you yeah totally totally (laughs) um so he would have been you know kind of um uh, not academic um going against the grain a bit he was real like we're come we're born in the west of ireland like very kind of rural galway uh, well near galway it's about an hour from galway uh we're from a town called castlebar there'd be about eleven thousand people there um which is the biggest town in mayo but it's still tiny <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and Killian would have been into like punk music. He had like Mohawk when he was a teenager, you know, stretched ears, hidden tattoos that the fam, like mom and dad didn't find out about until much later. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think I ever really skipped school, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't like we were just totally different in that regard. Um, so Killian wasn't academic, but he's, uh, he's really musical. Um, so he, when he was a teenager, he started um, wanting to learn an instrument and he took up drums yeah. and that's what took him on his journey. Uh, so he left home uh, after he finished school and did, he went to university in, in London studying drums. So it was like a, a drum drumming college. Yeah. So he's like an entertainer. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was independent, like he moved away and he was living like at a young age in London, which seems crazy. Because yeah, <laughs> he, like he was so immature, like, I guess, like in my mind at the time. Um, yeah, he would have been only 18, yeah. Do you find that um, because he was away for, as, as a young child, like away for so long and going to London by himself, um, he got him, did he get himself into trouble a little bit? Um, well, I wouldn't have known at the time and I, I don't think he got himself into trouble straight away or anything, but... Um, I guess when I finished college then he was already in univer or he was already living in London for about three or four years, I think. Uh two years anyway, I think. And um I also wanted to get the hell away from home in a way. Um so I like when I finished my exams I had uh, actually before I had done my exams I'd already gotten a job in, in London and I had a friend who was already doing a, a or finishing a university in Manchester and we agreed to oh we'll move to London together my brother's already there you know there's a few other people we know and we'll get jobs and you know we'll start our careers there and and that's what we did so we we went across and uh we myself and my friend lived together and uh settled into London and we became kind of intertwined into my brother's um group of friends as well um I guess because you already had a base there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they kind of welcomed us when we arrived, and you know, uh, even though they were a bit younger than us, um, you know, it, it was handy. It was nice to have people to hang out with straight away, and and we were in a, you know, we we found it hard to get a house um, straight away as well, and they helped us out with you know um, musicians that were looking for a house as well, and we ended up. Well, actually, my, we, me, myself and Tom ended up living with my brother and his music mates for a couple of years before I moved home. <laughs> that must have been interesting. Yeah, what well, was it, like you were saying when we were growing up, we were button heads all the time, so we weren't actually that close at all. Um, well, we weren't like that close. Yeah, uh, when we were teenagers, we were super close. I think when we were kids, you know, even though we would have been button heads a bit, but but we actually got really close again when I moved to London and. 
you know, we, we started living together again and, you know, it was really nice, like getting to know my brother as an adult um, and yeah, bonding together again. I think that happens a lot because I don't think I was super close with my sister and my brother in the teenage years. And then once we became adults and like have our own lives and actually hone into who, who we were or who we are, uh, you, you get closer that way. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like though you have to protect him though? Because he's younger? Yeah, I mean, so one one of the things of being the eldest for me, uh, like, I always felt like I, I became a bit of a fixer in the family, um, I feel like, from a young age. Um, so I was always trying to keep the family happy and keep the family together. and Peace. At peace, yeah. And definitely, if anything happened to my brothers, like, I'd be jumping on on the case straight away and and trying to help them figure it out or whatever it might be same with my with my father you know we we were super close myself and my dad um from a young age all the way up till when he died really and like i guess you you take in your surroundings when you're growing up right it, it kind of shapes you and like he was my role model as a kid i guess and he played soccer at a high level um you know, pe- people around Castlebar, where I'm from, um, when he moved there um, with my mum, he started playing soccer for the local club. And, you know, it didn't take him long until he got like his like his position nailed down and they had a lot of success when he was at the club. So it's kind of like the golden period of that football club at home in a way. Uh, and, you know, they, they he still or they still kind of talk about the the different trophies they won when he was playing and you know it's kind of nice yeah when you bump into the old uh the old players he used to play with and they always have such nice things to say about him and that oscar trainer team they they won the oscar trainer cup and i don't think they've won it since so yeah oh. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty cool what is oscar trainer cup it's just a really it's a really big uh tournament it's a really big uh thing to win for a club as small as as Castlebar celtic um in the west of Ireland, yeah. So he was like a local celebrity. Well, I mean, that team were, I okay. guess, like he was just part of the team. But like, yeah, he would have been a a key player, I guess, like uh, uh, for a number of years. But then he had a so he had a heart attack pitch for playing for Castlebar Celtic. Oh shit! And it, uh, we have a genetic condition in our family. It's yeah. um, it's an aggressive form of familiar high cholesterolemia, and uh, his brother also had a heart attack, like at a really really young age um and unfortunately he died he passed away at much too young age yeah so my uncle um after he had his heart attack um he was probably a lot better than my dad at like uh embracing a healthier life and um took it very seriously um his diet the medication yeah. everything and my dad would have at times as well but um you know, he'd often slip back into kind of his older habits and, um, you know, the medication doesn't work great if you're drinking alcohol uh, and stuff. And it was always a bit of a difficult thing for dad to kind of decide whether to, you know, stop drinking alcohol altogether or try and balance it and still take the medication and everything. Did you feel like you had to take care of him? Uh, Yeah, I mean, we had a... we kind of developed this kind of codependent relationship. I feel like um, probably from a young enough age, it developed without me even noticing. So even when I was growing up, you know, I didn't really realize I, I had a kind of a, 
an abnormal childhood in a way. Yeah. I only kind of developed kind of or realized how it affected me as I got older. I suffered quite a lot with anxiety, even from late teenage years in college all the way up until now. Like I just have developed really good methods for controlling it now, but it took me a long time to get there. Sometimes it takes people like a lifetime, right? So you're doing well. Be proud of yourself in that sense. Well, yeah, I'm I'm, like, I'm super happy now. (laughs) Uh, But uh, a lot of that anxiety, like when I you know, try and root cause it and, and and peel things back. I can remember like being very anxious as a kid, um, often waiting for dad to come home. He'd be often like he he was a salesman, he had his own company and he'd often go to the pub as was kind of the kind of the, the thing to do in Ireland, like when you finish work, um especially as a businessman, a lot of business in Ireland is done kind of over a drink, yeah, at a pub and and he had like a really like he 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 fit into a really uh, tight group of friends in Castlebar, even though he wasn't from that town. Uh, and these were all kind of business owners in in in, in Castlebar. Uh, but I I guess he he ended up um, probably um, spending too much time in the pub. And often I feel like people would come and have a drink with him or a few drinks, and then they would go home. But then someone else would come in and dad would stay, you know, to talk to this guy or this, this, and there's an opportunity here, maybe for more business or whatever. Like I'd be so anxious, even though I'd be lying in bed for a long time, just waiting for like to see the reflection of the car's lights coming into the driveway through the blinds. And then I could sleep, (laughs) you know what I mean? But I'd always like keep myself awake until he got home. And there was times when like he didn't come home or... You know, I'd be trying to cover for him or stuff like that because I'd know my mom would get like angry or, you know, like often I'd be getting ahead of the game. Like maybe my mom is coming home from work and I'd be already ringing around the pubs to find out which one he was in to try and suss out. Could I get him home earlier or, you know, that sort of stuff. So is it fair to say that you took kind of like the parent role with your dad? Yeah. So I, I, when I would have been talking about this with like when I started doing some counseling, which for me, it was a really game changer, I guess, the counseling. Um, Therapy. I recommend it for everyone. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, so th- it, it was very obvious to them, uh, like what you said, we, we kind of did a code, we had a codependent relationship where we did a roles reversal often. Uh, yeah, my dad often acted a bit like the child and I often acted like the kind of parent trying to you know keep him in check or um yeah that sort of stuff and then until maybe a point comes where i break down and i can't handle it and or there's too too many problems that i can't fix and then he'd suddenly flip uh into back into being really father really father yeah and also someone who empathized with me i felt like he understood the anxiety and and depression that I got into as once I became an adult during my time in London that's when I first kind of started to struggle to function um like even though my bosses and everything seemed to love the quality of my work and everything I was constantly thinking I'm you know I'm not sleeping properly and then I I'd convince myself that I look terrible 
that I'm not able to perform my job. I knew I could do a better job than I was doing. I was only just barely keeping my head above water kind of thing. And when I said it to, you know, I started missing work, basically. My boss asked me, what's going on? You know, are you okay? You know, you you seem to be sick a bit more often than than, than you have been in the first year. And uh, I just, I told him what was going on, that I, I, I was like really, really struggling with anxiety um, about work and about stuff at home that was going on. So at this point, my parents had separated and, and there was, um, you know, a court case going on at home. And being that far away from home, um, my relationship was still rock solid with my dad. Uh, we were talking on the phone every day, twice a day, three times a day. Um, and if anything, I was getting like one side of the story all the time from my dad and you know it, it sounded so bad that I, I kind of ended up losing my relationship with my mother because I judged her for the way she handled this separation and she didn't really include me in it which is the right thing to do I think looking back on it but my dad totally intertwined me into it and, and to be fair I I bit the bit the bait and you know, I became entrenched in it um, and, you know, trying to support my dad. Uh, I guess that was the part that was at the point where I realized I felt this like powerlessness. I couldn't fix this big problem. I couldn't keep the family together anymore. And it was like a just a breakdown. Like I, I couldn't accept it. I was like, there has to be some way of fixing this. So I you know, I I guess my mind was racing at night and I wasn't able to sleep thinking of all these different scenarios that could potentially, you know, mend the fences or at least have the separation go more smoothly. Because my, uh, the biggest thing for me was my youngest brother was, was still, at still at home, right? So 11 years younger, he's he's probably like 10 years old, 11 years old at this point. And I remember how it affected me. Like, you know, I, I'm starting to see a counselor now in in London or getting some help. And, and you were in your early 20s. Yeah. Um, now, I didn't really, I, I, I took a, when, when I explained what was happening at work and how I was struggling, what was happening at, at home in Ireland, my bosses in England said, you know, you can take a sabbatical, go home and, you know, take some time to just to see how you can um, support yourself better while you're over in the UK. So my idea was to go home and, you know, I had one or two counseling sessions in London, but the waiting lists were huge and stuff. So when I was going home, I wanted to go to see someone professionally and, you know, really take a, take an active role in like my own mental health and try and put this right and get back working. But I didn't know anything about mental health really at the time, to be honest. Like this to be is honest, just I like don't a, think people really talked about mental health back then than they do now, right? Compared well, it was funny. One of the doctors in London, he told me not to, like, not to mention anything to work because you'll be stigmatized. Don't go on the medication um, if you're going home and they recommend medication. Don't go on medication because this will go on your record as if it could affect me getting work and stuff in the future in the UK. I don't think any of this was true, but this, um, but I felt so shocked that he was kind of giving me this advice, like, don't be honest about this. You know, you got to keep this all hush hush. And I was just so confused about it all. So I was kind of looking forward to taking some time off work and actually just focusing on that because I felt like it needed that focus. But at the same time, I had such a bad understanding of mental health. In my mind, I was like, oh, I'll take um, 
six weeks and do six sessions and I'll be fly back and I'll be like good Brand as new. new. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was what I thought was going to happen, but that didn't work out at all. Um, I tried to do that and, you know, I felt a little bit better, a good bit better moving back over after I think it was eight weeks I moved back. And I had been put on medication. But again, I the psychiatrist that I was seeing in, in Ireland while I was at home had someone in the UK that he thought he was going to be able to get me appointments with privately. But it, that didn't end up materializing. And I was back in the same situation when I got back to London where the help I needed, there was a big waiting list and I had to qualify for it. And it wasn't as simple as just holding up my hand and saying, I need help. So, I mean, I, I went back to work. I worked there for another, I think it was eight months or so. Um, but like after the first four months, I started to find myself sinking again uh, in this quicksand. And I knew like it was only a matter of time until it goes horribly wrong again. And like between work and myself, we eventually worked out that it was better that I move home for a longer period of time. So I actually just you know, uh, finished that job and decided I wanted to, like, I needed more time to look into this and to work on myself. And at the time, I thought it was better if I'm back in Ireland when I do that, um, because I at least I know I can get, like, the counselling and stuff. But the, the the negative to that in the end was that I was back in, not only was I you know, caught up in the court case thing and everything, but I was now so close to all the pieces and all the people and the emotions and the the hurt and the, yeah, that sort of thing that uh, it was an everyday thing. It was almost like I would have needed to, like I was back living at home. So I, I just felt like I was in the middle of it. And even with the counseling and everything, it was very hard to, to, um, to kind of separate myself from it. So I started working with this, um, therapist she like i felt like she was really amazing in my recovery um even though it took took a long time but i was seeing her for for about six months at least uh every week and we worked on kind of identifying my triggers that 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 caused me uh, to spiral back into these patterns and we worked a lot on identifying that codependent relationship the, the manipulative kind of steps that were happening as well you know it was ingrained in my dad we were so used to it um but at times he would he would manipulate a situation to get what he needed and often it wasn't the best for me in the end um so yeah i i worked for a, for a long time with this counselor and I feel like I made a full recovery. I learned how in a way she, as she put it how to love from a distance. So I had like really strict rules like for Boundaries. like yeah for like oh it should have been forever but uh you know I in the like for a good year it was like that you know my dad if he called me and like I answered and I could tell he'd been drinking or something like that because that was a bit of a trigger for me I would decide to you know say you know what dad I now's not a good time I'm sorry but I'm gonna have to talk to you tomorrow in the morning stuff like that and I had a couple of lines that was purposely like a broken record um so when he hears these two lines he should get the message straight away that really worked for for a long time, I decided to 
because I was working in kind of billing services, which is like related to kind of construction, right? It's like the the wires and the, and the air conditioning and the plant rooms of big buildings like shopping centers and hotels. Um, that's what I was doing in London as a mechanical engineer. But when I moved home, the recession had hit Ireland. So there was no construction anymore. All the civil engineers were moving to Canada or to Australia. I needed to pivot myself if I wanted to stay in Ireland um, in order to to get work again and to have a career. I decided to go back and, and educate myself. So you focused on yourself. Yeah, and that helped because I, I, I was really interested in biomedical engineering like from a young enough age anyway because I, I was constantly meeting cardiologists. Um, I, I have the same genetic condition that my dad had and so does my youngest brother. Killian managed to dodge it somehow. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I, I would have been talking to cardiologists constantly. I even had, you know, when I was very depressed that time, there was a period where they they were worried about, like, was it related to something to do with my heart? Because I was getting certain, like, chest pains, but it was just to do with, like, panic attacks, basically, in the end. But I had like a, an angiogram done at a ridiculously young age and stuff like that, where they go in and check out basically all your arteries to make sure there's no narrowings and stuff. And I remember the surgeon, she was like, man, you're like the youngest person I've ever seen get this done. And she was already, she was so confident that there was no issue. But, you know, she did the, the, the procedure. And of course, my arteries and everything are fine. I've been on medication, luckily, since a very young age. Um, medication came out that actually helps the condition quite a lot that my dad wouldn't have had when he was young. So um, meeting with cardiologists a lot and then when my, my dad would have had a lot of different procedures done. He had like two triple bypasses, um, you know, while I was growing up and then he would have annual annual reviews and often have to get stents to to open up his arteries again. The idea of putting in this kind of pipe work into your arteries and stuff, just as I was like fascinated by this, like, you know, plumbing for humans. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. that that's what you studied. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I really want. I, I like had this laser focus. I was like, I'm going to get into design for manufacture for stenting in some way. And I knew the companies that did it. Um, a lot of the big American companies, biomed companies in the world are actually based in Galway because we have this really low corporation tax rate. So I kind of had eyes on a couple of companies that made these from the get-go. And I worked on that. And my dad would have helped me with his contacts as well. And I managed to get an interview. I, I started as a process technician on a, like, a night shift. But that was a stepping stone that allowed me this new career. And can, that, I, yeah. can I play devil's advocate? Yeah. Do you think you got into it kind of trying to get control of what's happening in your body without actually putting it in yourself? Yeah, to a certain degree. And it felt really good. Eases your anxiety a little bit to fully understand what's happening in there. Exactly, yeah. Especially for my... And, and again, I was more thinking of it probably from my dad's point of view or almost like when he's going in for one of those procedures, I would have like no anxiety because I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly how safe it is. When he got one of his procedures done, he he got implanted with um, a drug eluting stent that we would have made in my first position. So I got the serial number of the of the stent they put in, and I was able to go around and thank every person in the production line that made helped make the stent. Oh my god, so <laughs> I just got goosebumps. <laughs> so cool, right? <laughs> yes. And they obviously love that as well. It really kind of brings it home when you're working in that field. That it, it's really rewarding to know that you're. 
you know, when you're going in and you're working on that production line and, you know, you're actually, this product is probably going to save someone's life or extend someone's life. And I find that really rewarding. Yeah. And so that is something you did for yourself to make you ease. Like you said, like it lessened anxiety when your dad went into those procedures, but that wasn't, it didn't fix everything, did it? No. Uh, so no, it totally didn't. Although things were really good at the time and I was really focused on on the right things, you know, pursuing personal goals. And and I, when I moved to Galway, I started a relationship that also helped me a lot, gave me a lot more confidence. And, you know, I, I really felt like I was, I was me again, back on my feet, had new career, a blossoming relationship, long-term plan for my life. And that went on for, for quite a while until there was um, that company that I started the med position with. They were like also trying to downsize to a certain degree because of the recession. I decided a move was the best thing for me. I could have stayed there, but I got like a really good job for a startup company working as an R&D engineer. And Here in Vancouver? No, this was in Galway too. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but it was, was probably a lot more challenging than my old position. As I worked in that, things in this new job, things started to get bad, like a lot worse at home again. Back with your family or with back, your girlfriend? Back with my family, really. And between that and then the extra stress with work, I had a lot more responsibility. I felt these feelings coming back again and I was very worried about it because it's a scary, it's a scary place to be those, when you get those feelings, especially when you know how bad it can, can get. And I, the thought of going backwards again was like so scary and I didn't, I felt like I was losing control of the situation again. Slowly, slowly over those couple of years, so probably three years in Galway, I was slowly slipping back into supporting my dad, you know, trying to figure out a way to make him happy because he came out of that relationship with my mom and I, obviously it wasn't what he pictured or what he ever planned. And So you were everything. back trying to fix him. Yeah, and he, he, he was probably suffering from some sort of depression himself, kind of helping himself probably a bit with alcohol to, you know, to soften that. Or, and he got into a bad place himself. He had lost all hope and you know, just became extremely depressive. Um, and being, he was difficult to be around then. You go over to visit him and immediately your energy is all sapped away um, by just the heaviness of even the room. He was like done. He was like, right, this is me. Kind of just accepted this as being his fate. And I couldn't seem to, to, to scare anything into him or shake him out of it. That must have taken a toll on you. Yeah, I, I, I guess I ended up dragged down and and like I said we had this kind of codependent thing so like I would keep going and keep trying to trying to change something to to help him in some way but eventually uh, I I had brick roll myself for a, I was exhausted and I had my own kind of mental collapse and and like I said that's where it did almost like the the roles would reverse temporarily where he would jump in save like, you and fix you yeah, yeah. and tr try to to dig me out of the hole that i was in so that kind of affected the relate my relationship as well to a certain degree we would have been going out your for, serious relationship or community yeah we would have been going out for like three years at this point you know she would have been quite worried about me and the situation and how is this gonna affect me and my the rest of my life you know but luckily you know um that that challenge that I was going through uh, 
made me realize that I need to find the right support in Galway because I, after spending so long with this other therapist at home, um, once I moved address in the HSE, you cannot continue that with that therapist. She was assigned only this area of Castlebar. So, and I was also feeling so good and everything that I just we we had agreed that I would just maybe come back and see her maybe once a year or once every six months even like you know the appointments had been first every week or maybe twice a week even at first but like they had gone to once a month or once every two months anyway at this point so when I was in Galway I almost like thought I was like Superman again I was like yeah I don't need that anymore I feel great but then still close proximity and distance to your family it brought you back down without that um, professional support Exactly. And then there was this other thing that started happening. I had obviously moved from London back home. Uh, my friend I went to university with and he moved down to London with me. He was still in London. And I had like the other friends that I'd lived with that would have been Killian's friends also. Even before I left, Killian had started drinking a lot more. He had just this ability to always be able to go out and have a great time. But there was times where I saw it go too far where he like he would get aggressive with alcohol, you know, and there was a lot lot more talk about drugs and stuff like that. He would have been in some, having some success with music. I remember the first time I saw him on TV, like he was with a, a rapper, he was playing the drums and, you know, he was on a Kerrang video and, you know, it was, it was a, you know, a big thing kind of at the time for him. He was still so young and then he was in a Teo Cruz. Uh, Shut the front door. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. Would I know that video? Yeah, he would. Oh, cool. Higher is the name of the song. So, so he's having some success. Where the way he was succeeding, but then going into the drugs and alcohol, that kind of reminded you of your father. A bit, uh, yeah. But like, I feel like Killiam, he was so, like, it was only ever positive at the time for him like he was able to handle all this or you know he was even happier when he was drunk and when he and and you know taking these drugs didn't seem to be phasing him that much at the time but when i moved away apparently things got a lot worse but it it took time for that to filter through to me um through the different people you know i started getting some messages people were worried about him yeah some odd phone calls were coming and yeah, I started getting very worried about him. And he started also, you know, some phone calls, like he might ring me when I was at work at home and I could tell like he was out of it and he wasn't like making sense and some dark stuff starting to talk about. He he wasn't, he was no longer this really positive, uh, charismatic guy all the time. I could see it was, this was taking its toll on him. Do you think it was a cry for help? Yeah, looking back now, yeah, for sure. Like he was obviously numbing something else himself or this was his way of dealing with it. He wouldn't really talk about that sort of stuff, right? He was more passive with everything. But I guess he just processed things. He was processing that type of emotion a lot differently from a young age. That really took its toll on him after time. For example, I was going over visiting him a few times when he was... In different bands, I, I try and go over and see them. He was in this one band, kind of heavy rock, kind of a bit old fashioned early, uh, and I really liked the sound, the sound they had. And I went over to see them a few times. And like for example, I would have brought that ex over, um, and say another time I brought my brother and his friend over, 
but each time we went it was an absolute disaster like just i guess i got to see how bad killian had gotten um and but also i was unable to get through to him he became like a addicted to cocaine and 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 um and he had a very bad drinking problem um and uh, like eventually that 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 came to fruition but like uh so that added to your stress with your dad, your parents' divorce, your wanting to fix things, and then then your brother on top of it all. And uh, like that's a lot for one person to just take in, whether you have support or not. What was your breaking point? Yeah, so I I ended up um, doing quite well back in that job again. So like I recovered that time. And I had a counselor in Galway again, and things went well for that position so much so that I I could grow to get to start being headhunted by other biomedical companies. When I, I got this offer, this amazing offer, and uh, was to work on again cardio implantable devices, and I started a job. I had like a week or so between the old job finishing and the new job starting. And I spent a few days like back home. In Castlebar. Yeah, in Castlebar, yeah. Castlebar, yeah. Um, you know, when I came back to Galway, the first the first day I was back in Galway, um, I was going to bed and I got a call at like 3 a.m. And it was my dad. Like, he had had too much to drink and he couldn't, like he was after falling and he didn't know where he was. And I just like freaked out. I was like, trying to get him to tell me what he could see so I could kind of visualize where he could be in Castlebar trying to walk home. But he seemed to have hurt himself pretty bad. But he had some amazing friends as well. It, his friends help, helped like sort it all out. But So there you were again, being the father figure to your father. Yeah, I guess so. In a way, yeah. But again, I was only able to do it for so long. And like that week that I had off, ironically, I ended up getting seeing a lot more of what was going on and then having a massive kind of collapse again. The pressure of starting a brand new job. And then Killian had a like a very bad incident in London that my friend told me about. And then, then this happened to dad. You know, I'm in Galway and yet he's ringing me at 3am and like, what am I meant to do? I'm meant to get in the car and drive to Castlebar an hour away. And like, I've got work in the morning. I had only recovered i guess like about a year from the first time my girlfriend or my ex-girlfriend would have seen me with all of a sudden this like basically paralyzing illness in a way she would have seen me at my worst and not being able to get out of bed and like really struggling with the simplest of things and breaking down and not being the strong person that i i I tried to be for her um you know during a relationship um I could see also that she was getting more worried that this, you know, has happened now again. A year later, especially when you're progress, you're getting to like the peak of like cure or well, cure in quotations, right? Like yeah. you're getting so much better. You're up uphill. And then all of a sudden, this is all happening all at once. And then getting a new job, a career that you want to pursue and that you're proud of. And then all of this is weighing you down again. Yeah, and that was the cycle, like, to be fair, you know, ups and downs, I would recover well, and I would be doing so well, it was like everything in my life was going perfect in a way in my mind. And and that relationship got a lot, like, more and more serious, and talking about getting married, married, talking about getting a house, planning our 
life and all that sort of stuff. So what was that point where like, I've had enough? Yeah. So I guess, again, I like work kind of helped me distance myself. I got a kind of a, so I, I had this new job that I had a couple of days in, right? And then I had a big breakdown. I lost the job basically straight away. I was, re- you know, I was really angry at the time and all. That was your bottom? Yeah, that was, that was a really, really hard blow. This has totally affected and upturned my life again. Um, it's affecting my relationship, my career, everything. And I was really, like, really worried about losing the relationship and losing my kind of myself. I didn't even know what I was doing anymore. I didn't know why I was doing it. I was worried about this this issue affecting how how am I going to keep things together for the rest of my life and you know support my family if I'm going to have a family um if this thing keeps happening. But work so I I ironically lost that job fast, but I got another interview with another big biomedical company and I got the job there. And that job was, wasn't the most uh, challenging job, uh, you know, it was kind of mundane. The one good thing about the job was there's a lot of travel involved. So I was sent to California and do a product transfer. So to close down a company in California, we had acquired and moved the production and all the products to Galway to be made there in future. So I spent like two summers in California and as soon as I was that far away, I was like, I felt amazing instantly again. Like physical distance from the issues. Yeah, but like it didn't, I didn't put it all together at the time, really, to be honest. But like I was over there instantly day one. I'm like in the zone. You're Enda. I, yeah, I'm Enda. I've got the <laughs> California. Like the head swing. You're I like, was, yeah, <laughs> I'm Enda. I was like, you know, I thought maybe it was the weather, you know, or the vitamin the D, you know, all this. Even to the fact when I went home, I was like getting my vitamin D levels checked and everything going, maybe it's just vitamin D all this time, you know? <laughs> but of course, and that's, you know, you know, even my ex was saying the same thing. You got to get this checked, that checked. Maybe it's just an imbalance of hormones or whatever. Yeah. Trying to think of some other thing to put it down to rather than it being this family thing all the time. Yeah. So you're looking for an excuse in a way. Yeah, exactly. Just because you didn't want to admit to yourself at that time. That it was your family weighing you down. Exactly. And I did all these tests. And of course, everything came back going, no, no, that's, you've, you've got a lot. You, you've got above normal vitamin D or whatever. You know, there was nothing that could point that way. And that was it, really. After I came back from California the second time. And, you know, I felt amazing in California. I, my ex came over and we had this great like holiday together at the end of it you know we traveled all over california it was an amazing holiday and we both came back i guess in really good form and we started like accelerating our plans more bought a house from plans so it's been built that was going to be the you know maybe the first step move in together then then we get married or whatever and all that the only thing was with the house it was a big, a big ask for us financially. Um, so we were kind of under a bit of pressure to save aggressively for this. I guess I got, I got kind of too into saving. Like I got like to the point where it was nearly debilitating me. Uh, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself like properly. It was like I was trying to save on everything. Uh, so like, that additional pressure again has added to the weight in your shoulder. And I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. One extra bit of pressure was it was was only going to take one thing that's going was going to topple me again, 
And then that happened at the same time. Both my brother and my dad had like a breakdown themselves, like where at the same time, pretty much, yeah, like weeks with each other. Yeah, they had both really badly spiraling. Uh, my dad was in the pub every day for like two weeks, where he was not answering calls from me and scaring the shit out of me with stuff he was saying, and started writing these really dark poems and sending them to me. But like he was just expressing himself with his own grief and stuff but he never really like I was always trying to fix the situation like I said so you can imagine I was trying to get him to see counselor himself I learned that my mum had tried for years and years to try and get him to speak to someone because he had um, quite a dark kind of childhood himself he, he had some horrible abuse that happened to him when he was a child basically it makes sense how it's led him to where he was as an adult as a father and from what i've heard like his dad as well his dad was like um he worked on the light ships so they're like lighthouses but on a ship so he'd live on a boat like for half the year right? and he'd be away from home all the time like that but when he'd come home he'd hit hit the drink hard as far as i've heard like from i never got to meet him now because he died very young at sea but my dad was the youngest in his family and he didn't he he didn't really care. He was probably too young to really understand. He just like, But he never got that time. father figure to help him grow. Oh, his dad died I think when he was thirteen. Yeah, so he's never had that. So I guess what happened was when they both had a very bad couple of weeks where my brother I know had, had spent almost two grand in the space of like see he was also very good at manipulating my parents because they were separated and they weren't really communicating well together and they'd have a young son they're having they're hearing different things from Killian so Killian basically manipulated them both to be paying rent at the same time for him so he's getting double rent to to supplement his drug habit and it was it was kind of obvious to me now at this point what was happening and I was trying to tell my parents like this is what's happening Killian's in a really bad way I couldn't kind of they kind of took it with a pain. I felt like they didn't really get get it or maybe they thought I was over exaggerating or something and also, it was hard to help. Like, what what can you do? Like, when they had that really bad time, I, again, struggled and I missed work. And that's when my ex decided that was it for her. She couldn't be in the relationship any longer. Because you must have taken a toll on her as well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it did. Like, of course it did, yeah. You know, she she did what she had to do. And, yeah. and it wasn't an easy decision to, for her to make. We were yeah. just about to move into the house. Is that the, the biggest slap on your face in a way? Or like the biggest like trajectory is like, holy shit, well, I just time, lost. I remember thinking, I think you're kind of right. You know, I accepted it at the time. This had to happen. But in my mind, was going to try everything I could, put all my energy into working on myself if we broke up. And... If I can put myself back together and I have confidence in my ability to move forward and not not have this hanging over me all the time, well, maybe it'll work out that if, if I was in the right position that potentially we can get back together. And I became kind of obsessed with that. I'm going to work, 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 do everything I can think of to, to put this right. And, and I, no matter what, I'm going to make this work. It's like the family thing all over again. And of course, it's not in my control, really. You know, it's only going to work if she wants to come back. And she she moved on with her life. And I couldn't understand how she could. She she did that and I wasn't able to do it. And it it took a lot out of me. Uh, like I ruined myself over like that in a way. I held on to this imaginative olive branch that wasn't really ever there. I, you held on to hope. Yeah, held on to hope. And I, 
Although, like, I always wanted, like, some sort of closure on exactly what was going through her mind and everything that made her choose to, that this was it, or I wanted to meet up to at least talk about it. So I'd reach out to her every now and again and to see if, you know, she was in a place where she felt she could meet me. But I'd say it was pretty obvious that, you know, I wanted to get back together. <laughs> and, and she was probably afraid of giving me any hope, and rightfully so. For that reason, we never ended up meeting up again. Um, yeah. So I, I, you had the hopeless romantic of hope that, you know, once she sees you changing, she'll come back. So is that what made you move to Vancouver? Oh, well, yeah. So um, I continued working in that position. That, uh, so I took like a voluntary redundancy with that job. And I, I, to be perfectly honest with you, this had gone on for quite some time at this point where I was trying to stay positive, thinking this was going to work itself out and everything. But there became a point where her not agreeing to meet up or not being able to talk to her, I was, I got really down about that. And again, I felt like, man, I'm you know, I don't know where I'm, whether I'm coming or going, what am I doing here? How am I going to get my life back on track? And like when they offered me this thing, it was, it was kind of an escape. It was like, thank God. I, I don't know how much longer I could have done this anyway. So I took that opportunity then and the, the money that I got out of it to like invest in a dream I had, which was to work for myself or try and start a company from scratch or something like that. And myself and my dad always talked about it. Um, and he was about to do something like that and we decided to do it together and I thought that might be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we entered into this partnership. Can I guess what happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it went down the shithole? <laughs> yeah. That's fair to say. <laughs> yeah. It didn't take, like, it had its ups and downs again. Like any startup will have its ups and downs. Yeah. But was it more downs than it was up? Well, I just, I could, my dad wasn't really functioning. He was like only in it, I think, because he saw it gave me some sort of new energy. Like, he, he saw this, you know, this relationship break up. So he's trying to be a dad and be supportive. Yeah, I had this plan. You know, he knew my, you know, my plans were, uh, or what our plans were together, um, myself and my ex, and we had got this house, and now all of a sudden it was all gone. So he was trying to support me, I guess, in any way he could, and, you know, thought it was a good idea to do this, but, like, it didn't take long. You know, we we do a couple of really good jobs and, you know, have success uh, on some projects. But then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I couldn't, like, whereas I was really motivated to do something and to, you know, proper business plan, uh, you know, put, putting all that together. But, like, my dad has never kind of liked that. He was always kind of making it up as he went along, kind of. And, and he had a lot of success doing that in the good times in Ireland. But, like, when he was, since he was on his own, I guess, in a way, it mirrored what I was doing. He'd have short period where he improved and and things went well but inevitably he fell back down again so it's the same pattern over yeah. and over again yeah. and probably more extreme for him even because he wasn't we did get him i got him to go to see someone eventually but he, he only did it for i think six weeks or eight weeks or something and then that guy um retired but he offered dad like to continue on treating him dad dropped it you know i know did the stuff he was like discussing he wanted to do it on his own or did he feel like he 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 wanted to do it for you i yeah i think there there could have been a bit of that and i feel like people can't change unless they do it for themselves yeah and at times i i felt like he he kind of saw the benefit a bit like they were pushing him to address some of these this abuse that he had when he was a kid um with someone outside the family and none of the rest of his family knew about it until 
recently. But like around this time, he kind of told his sister and like he, he would have never told his brother, I guess, um, or his mother. It was like they all felt guilty, I'd say, to a certain degree that they never noticed it. Uh, and, and yet there was this young boy like in the family that was being abused the whole time but the more you suppress it the more you don't talk about it it takes a toll on you it's that weight inside your stomach that you never know what that weight is until you actually release it and start talking about it this actually happened to me because you have to acknowledge it for it to be fully released right yeah i i saw him really try i I felt like he was close to potentially delving into all that stuff and and, you know getting some closure on it it got to a point where i think it was too much for him and he was also quite sick, you know, like he had been through all these operations and he was a very athletic guy when he was younger. And I think that was one of the hardest things for him to accept was, you know, he can't really exercise the way he wanted to. Like he loved tennis. He was an amazing soccer player. He was mad to get back playing tennis and he would have on and off. He, he'd go through these, like, like I say, or he'd maybe go eight months without drinking or something like that or, or being really healthy, having a new diet. And he'd get back playing a bit and, and you could see him, he was leaping out of his skin, uh, like with positivity and everything again. But, you know, that was only always temporary until he got knocked down to like see him fall again. And so you're company with him and he's his ups and downs and then he was back to his down. Did that company just lose money? Um, not really. Uh, oh, he's doing well. Like, so I... I like so, uh, the, the, so it came to the point where again I was like back in Castlebar, um, working with Dad, uh, uh, but yet there was it was constantly frustrating me. I was so frustrated all the time because your your distance is your close proximity again. Yeah, <laughs> and and the, and and we you know if I wanted to, if we wanted to do something like it 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 was never done in some sort of organized way. Like we're totally different people. He's like my brother again, and. Like, I'm very, like, I guess, structured, logical thinking, and there needs to be a business plan. <laughs> we need yeah. to set goals. We need yeah. to do yeah, this. Yeah. Whereas with him, it was just more going day to day and figuring out what works day to day. That's like living in the moment to an extreme. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't keep, you know, I, I don't see this being the answer. Uh, I, I can see myself just going through these cycles forever if I stay in this. And I was back. You know, getting counselling. I was on the medication. I was trying to ed- exercise, and I was still just struggling to really see how I could get my life back on track. Or I just still felt like in this hole, and things had gotten way worse. I, I guess so. What happened was Killian. Uh, before I had lost that j- uh, job, I got a call from this woman on Facebook uh, who I'd never heard of before, who was a friend of Killian's rang me and said I there's an emergency your brother is so unwell like he's doing way too much drugs he he started having a seizure and frothing at the mouth um, in front of me and I called an ambulance and like then the ambulance came and when she was getting some paperwork for the ambulance he well enough that he managed to like basically disappear so he went back out drinking and didn't get any treatment from the ambulance and then a few days later he uh, he surfaced again this is two days of me and the family like ringing around trying to find him uh, and then he had another seizure and um, like dad being dad like i said like when when the chips are down he springs into father mode uh, when there's a disaster and uh he jumps in the car and drives over and like just starts going around driving around 
finds him eventually. And he stayed with him until he convinced him he had to come home. Uh, basically dragged him home. So, wait, can I guess what's happening? <laughs> I feel like this is like a like a TV show. Yeah. So he convinced him to come home back to Castlebar. Yeah, he was like, you're going to die if you stay here. Okay. So you have your father, your brother, your new endeavor with your dad, yourself, no supportive girlfriend. So that's like the recipe for disaster for you and your mental health. Yeah. And not only that, but um, because the way our relationship was where we had this codependency and everything... And when they 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 both have these bad episodes, it dragged me down, and that was the, in my eyes, the cause of my breakup. I actually blamed them both for the breakup for a long time, like to the point where you know I really things weren't the same between any of us. And um, even though I was working with Dad, when he would say if he had a drink or something, he was too old to change at this point. You know. I was still like, I would just be... I hate when people say that. People well, change any time <laughs> they want to, but they have to do it themselves. But I, I, I wait, you know, I was putting a lot of energy into trying to change him when like, and giving out to him and being quite aggressive with him because I was resentful. I blamed him and I blamed my brother for, for this relationship breakdown. And now Killian is, is in my hometown. Uh, we're all there. Both my dad and my mom are trying to get him to go into some sort of treatment. Um, and at first it took a long time for that to, for him, he had to have another couple of seizures before he accepted he was going to have to have to go into somewhere. And I was like, I was staying with my mom at the time. I had decided I'm no longer going to stay with my dad because I, it's too depressing in that apartment. He was living in an apartment and, you know, he kind of still never unpacked from the day he separated from mom. Maybe he was holding on to hope too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely a time. Yeah. There was definitely times where he even said that, you know. And, uh, like when was when was like, the final straw? And you're like, I'm moving to Canada. Yeah. I can't do this anymore. So yeah, I, so that's it. My brother, um, I I wasn't letting him into mom's house because I was like, I I can't have you near me. You know, there was this anger inside me almost because, and I didn't have, you know, while I had some empathy for him, I used to have a lot more empathy for him. But like this, because I was, I was still in my head in a way blaming him. I had this anger. Uh, and I, I really didn't want to be around him or dad, just especially if they were using or drinking. He wasn't getting any better. And so I went, I decided, right, this is the ideal time. My friend rang me and said, I'm going to take a career break. I've never gone traveling. Um, you want to you want to do Central America or South America or something like that? And I was like, yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm game. Tell me what date, where to meet you. Let's do it. So I like, Always wanted to learn how to scuba dive, so I I I went and um, got qualified scuba diving with some other friends, and then I met my friend in Mexico, and we traveled down um, the east coast of Mexico and down all the way to almost Panama. How long did how long was this trip? Three months, I'd say. Did it remind you of when you were in California? Yes. So you can see the pattern, right? So it's the day I left. Instantly, it was like. I was five stone lighter. I, I felt I felt back to adventure, something positive each day to look forward to. But it was tough as well because I was leaving at a really bad time. Like things were chronic bad at home. Yeah. So you still have anxiety of trying, wanting to fix things, but you needed to do things for yourself. Well, yeah. I feel like once I landed, I was too far away. 
the time difference is too extreme. So, so that's the way I like, went. Three you months put it in the went. back of your mind in a way. Yeah, yeah. I kind of forgot about all my problems at home and just focused on enjoying a new chapter in my life. Let's see how I feel. Let's maybe I find myself spiritually. We didn't have much of a plan. We knew we, where we wanted to start, where we wanted to finish. And we just went day to day. One step at a time, through. living yeah. in the moment, yeah. literally. And we did. We changed up our plans as we went. And it, it was just such a, an amazing experience. And again, just such a freeing um, experience. It was absolutely the best suntan I ever had, which is not <laughs> saying much. You know, and glowing with happiness. I, I'd imagine everyone, as soon as I landed, you know, you could, you could tell just by the pe- way people were greeting you. They were like... Wow, and it's changed. Or, you Your know. energy, you have a different type of energy. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember just people like saying how happy and how much, how good I looked and all that sort of stuff. And I felt great. And I was starting to think about work again and career and moving or whatever. I started talking about potentially doing what I said I might have done when I was moving back to Ireland. I was thinking of moving to Canada at the time with my friends that were doing that, that civil engineers that had to move away. And I started doing the paperwork and everything. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go there. And I was like, if I go and I like it, I'll stay. And if I don't, I'll do something else or whatever. And I just had this free kind of spirit kind of. Especially coming from back from your trip, you're kind of like yourself again. Yeah. So I, I, I had this plan and I was like, right. I had a kind of a goal of like eight months. I'll, I'll, I'll be getting on my plane and getting out of here. But like after a couple of months, I was like at a point like that. I was like, okay, I, if I stay here any longer, I'm I could end up in hospital or something. I, you know, I, I could never get out of this. So I, it was it was actually only three weeks before my dad's 60th birthday, and that week I I just planned leaving as soon as I could. If I could get on a flight that next day, I would have got on a flight the next day. So you had originally said that you had about eight, seven to eight months planned. So this is like three months or four months in. Technically, I didn't even have my work visa. Oh, shit. So I landed as a tourist. And then did you get your work visa right away? I landed here as a tourist, and then I got my work visa fairly soon after that. But I I had to tell my dad, like, less than two weeks before his 60th, I just said, Dad, I'm really sorry, but I realized that I can't even, I can't stay any longer. I'm not going to wait until I plan to go. I have to go now. I know it's your birthday, and less than two weeks and you know your 60th and i'd love to be here for it but i i i feel like it, it could be the, the at the end of me if i stay any longer you know i, I felt like do you think you, know, you were kind of running in a way um you can you can you can call it that but or do you think you were running to yourself that's what i that's the way i i i, I look at it at the time i i probably did think more oh maybe i'm running away from this maybe this isn't the right thing to do but like when I got here, it was all, it was the same as before. It was same like, as California. Yeah, I'm back to myself. I felt ready. I felt like I, I, I got here and everything from then on, like I, I just kept growing and growing as a person and uh, became more stable. Uh, you know, I had more Enya. good support here. I, I made sure I got all that, the right stuff around me straight away. You know, I had, you know, my counseling here. I made sure I was playing soccer like for me like the medication like is 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 definitely not the cure um like it can help a lot but for me the exercise can constant ex- like having to get up and do something every day and then the counseling they're the two things that like make me safe 
our common friends, do they know about all of this? Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, probably not all of it. In fact, they'd probably more know just oh, I struggled at home with a bit of depression. Then when I moved here, um, unfortunately, not long after I moved here, dad passed away suddenly. Um, although he was always unwell, I, I guess we all thought like he was invincible in a way because he just kept living and kept... Was it a heart attack? Yeah. He was always complaining about um, pains in his legs. And one of the side effects of the drug that we're on is that you get muscle pain. So what was actually happening was he was actually getting clots in his peripherals. So it was actually, you know, clots in his veins and arteries or, or narrowing of his arteries in his legs over a long long time I'd imagine uh, and then one of those calcified pieces that was attached to maybe um, a joint in the in the canal of the artery broke off and traveled um, you know up towards his heart and, and blocked something close to his heart that that that, that cut off the oxygen supply so he passed he passed away really fast and relatively painless i'd, I'd imagine and, and he always said he was always like uh, not worried about cancer i'm not worried about anything the heart attack will get me in the end and like it's not the worst way to go <laughs> you know and and one thing that like really helped me and i'd imagine my brothers was that he um so he had kind of started seeing some someone at home <laughs> uh, i had met her a few times and uh you know, I could see this, you know, it made him happy. And although he was like really protective of it, especially at first telling us, and I'd say he was worried about what we would think. And, you know, I was really happy to to hear that he was, you know, seeing someone when I was over here. And I was talking to him the night before he died. And he was with her um, and he was with her when he died. So like that so meant everything alone. to me. He wasn't alone, oh. yeah. Oh my um, god, my heart! <laughs> <I cry. laughs> so when I heard the news, I, I flew straight home and I spent some time at home. Unfortunately, Killian was in a, a new treatment center at the time when he when my dad died, and like that triggered a relapse for Killian. So he got like dispensation to come out and go to the funeral, obviously, and everything. But straight away when he got out, they went straight to the nearest pub and. A whole bunch of stuff happened then around the funeral and Killian was in a really bad place. Like he was, he took, like he took it really badly. Like he he wasn't in a good place. My mum was meant to come visit me like straight away after I arrived. So she was with this, in this dilemma of trying to get him into a treatment center so she could, you know, come visit me. Mum ended up saying, you know, I I think she did the right thing. And she said, you know what, I, I, I can't make you do this. So she she came and visited me and we we tried to enjoy ourselves here and did touristy things. And while all this chaos was going on at home and and thankfully now, like, you know, he's gotten through it all. So after you and your mom came here and then she went back home, who's Enda? Uh, Well, I just continued feeling feeling like myself here and bar a couple of homesick moments you know or feeling you know a bit emotional on a certain day that's special to something with me and dad or something you know i feel like rock solid here since i've been here but i'm lucky as well that i i I got a job that i really love and i had a really good group of friends here that supported me as well through it all um yourself included yeah i just feel like um nothing since i've been here you know I, I've always felt like I'm on me and and yeah and 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 thankfully everything worked out at home and and I didn't need to be there um, and and Killian is like just doing so great now and 
like he has his own like success story and he's woo boo moment yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah he's doing what he always wanted to do he's back playing music and he's in a an up-and-coming band in ireland They're, are you happy oh god yeah i like i have my brother back right like i can like there's some times where we kind of fall back into our own argument like we will have a bit of an argument about something or or i'll worry maybe he's you know oh no he's not like thinking in that way again but like it always comes back to me just being worrying too much or something like uh you know he's he's rock solid i think himself like he, he he's 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 achieved so much in the last couple of years since he's been sober that if he can just keep this momentum going he can achieve anything like he's smart guy he's he's talented musician i can see how proud you are of him yeah actually when i went back home for that wedding um I was walking through Dublin and so he used to model towards the end of his time in London. So when I was back in Dublin, I'm walking through St. Stephen's Green um, and there's a huge, massive poster of Killian on the St. Stephen's Green shopping centre. It couldn't be a bigger billboard. I I had to do a second take because he hadn't told me and then um, I was like, is that Killian? Like, actually, someone else said it to me first. The person I was with was like, is that your brother on the billboard? And I was like, no. And then I looked and I was like, oh, it is. Oh, she was saying he was getting back into like doing, like modeling. trying to get back into a bit of modeling. And um, yeah, that was it. He, when he, was that? That was in October. 2021. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, he's he's still doing a bit of that. And, and now he's got this band thing going on. And now he's also got like what I think he always needed was something like to fall back on. If those things don't work out, he's got a real job, too. He's not he's not reliant on my parents for money and he's he's become like an actual real adult. It's weird because <laughs> <laughs> he really wasn't. <laughs> this is my final question. If you think you've ever relapsed, how do you think Enda would handle it? Better? Yeah, stronger? I think I think Enda can handle anything now. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Sorry. But but like I, I think I'd I'd have to, you know, stay on track, right? Like follow the rules I've set for myself, keep myself in the right routine and don't forget where I've been because those experiences have like, they give me a different perspective than maybe other people have. And like, I think for, for the rest of my life, I'll always be trying to do something to help people, uh, whether it's working as a biomedical engineer or um, volunteer you know, for volunteering darkness to do different things yeah because yeah. you volunteer for darkness into the light yeah yeah um yeah and I, I think that's a great um if you if you haven't heard of that have a look at it it started in ireland and it's in in, in every major city in the world now and it, where any irish is where any irish, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly when there's an irish community there'll be there'll be a group of people that that do that walk um we all we, i think we all probably know people that have either suffered a lot with mental health or else you know maybe there's someone that you know through someone else or directly that suffered tragically to the point where they lost their life just because of their mental health and you know i have a friend that that took his own life in um, when we were in university and you know he would have been our best friend in my circle of friends um and you know we we don't want to ever forget him and um you know it seems like such a crazy thing that we lost him to this and suddenly and and hopefully in the future people that like you know these things become less stigmatized and and you know no one should have to suffer like that alone alone and, and uh, this has been so 
crazy. This is the longest interview I've ever done. Really? <laughs> because it's just been so intriguing the whole entire time. And I'm just like, what's the twist? And there's another twist. When is he ever twist. going to get through all this horribleness and move to Canada? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but I am so proud of you. Obviously, I didn't know this history. And I think you and I become a little bit closer since you love my dog so much. And our walks have, have been helpful. And I am honored to be a friend, to have known, to know you. And to be part of this journey with you of finding Enda. So thank you for sharing your journey with Waking Up From Breaking Up or Wubu and for opening up to me. And I know that it's not, it's very hard to be vulnerable, especially in the public realm. So thank you for sharing your story. Sure. And I'd just like to say thank you for, for, for everything, for, for being there for me over the, you know, since we've known each other and, and being an inspiration, like, with this podcast you know, <laughs> I, you know I, I really think it's great what you're doing and you know I feel like it, it, if being a part of it myself can help anyone then then we've already both won right yeah exactly I, you know um, when I first started this I was telling my best friend you know I just want to help one person if this podcast helps one person then it's successful and then when it launched and I did some of the interviews right before it launched um him and I were talking again and I was like, you know what? I'm like, the funny part is I'm like, I've helped myself through just having these conversations with my friends. So I'm like, nothing else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I've only launched like a day ago and I'm like, to me, it's already successful. Hi, welcome to the reflection section of this week's episode. I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I was doing that interview, I was intrigued the entire time. I was just waiting for like, when is he going to find himself? And yeah. And honestly, when I was listening to Enda talk in my head, I was like, oh man, he needs to learn to set boundaries with his family. And that's so easy for me to say. I have a hard time setting boundaries with my family and everyone has different dynamics with their family, right? So But, you know, like, he did start doing that. He did tell his dad when he was working uh, to not call him during the work hours. So, Enda did start setting healthy boundaries so that he could find peace in his mind and be himself again. And his ultimate boundary, I would say, is removing himself from the proximity of his family and the drama that was happening around it just for his own mental health and he put himself first and he literally loved them from afar a physical distance and that's what enda needed to do for himself so that he could be sane and keep his mental checked or his mental health in check i'm actually going to go through some of the answers that enda had given me after the interview so when i do an interview i send my guest a questionnaire for them to fill out. And I just thought that Enda's responses were so empowering and so insightful. And I loved it. So I'm just going to read what he answered. So the question was, people change all the time. What was your biggest self-discovery? And what did you have to let go to become more yourself? Enda's answer, loving from afar is very difficult when you live in close proximity. Also, The best advice I can give anyone who's suffering from anxiety or depression is to make a change. Something you always wanted to try or a place you have always wanted to visit, if you have the financial means just to go for it, the distraction will help you think more, more, much more clearly. Next question. 
What advice would you give your younger self, your future self? Younger self. I should have went traveling much more instead of wallowing, and I should have trusted my gut more. Future self. Your scars are a source of great power because they remind you of what you have overcome. Question. What makes you feel inspired? Answer. The courage people show when following their true dreams, like a startup company, for example. I actually cut the, that part where Anda was talking about listening to the podcast and listening to entrepreneurs that I've had in the past, like Max, Maxine, and um, Kate. And he said that he's very inspired by those people. So get inspired and go for it. And I know Enda's doing that right now and he's on his way. And probably upon listening to his interview, you probably understand how ambitious he is and how driven he is once he gets his mind into something. So the next question, what is the best compliment you have ever received? Enda's answer from my dad, that I fill him with pride every day with the way I have tackled my mental health challenges, picking myself up over and over and never giving up. And his best compliment he'll ever give to someone end up saying that he will, he hopes to help share and he hopes to share and help others with his challenges with mental health and um, helping others overcome theirs as well. And the final question is to end up, what would you like the audience of Wubu to know about you? The answer, and I love this, that I move here to Canada not to run away from my problems. I wanted to allow the new version of myself space to grow. And I think that's what the biggest lesson is, is that you can love people from afar. It doesn't mean that you're running away from them, but you're setting boundaries and you're allowing yourself to grow in a way that it would have been limited if you had stayed with your family or with your friends that could have been holding you down. You know, Enda's not the only one with these issues. Everybody has their own family dynamics. I myself have have some, and I love my family. I love my extended family, but they have tendencies that I don't agree with. And, um, you know, being Filipino-Canadian, my weight was always brought up when I was a kid, and I do have body issues sometimes especially when I was a teenager and majority of my 20s. And I got over those body issues when I left my hometown and moved to Vancouver and really understood that my characteristics have nothing to do whether I was 114 pounds or 130. Uh, I am way over what I usually am, but I don't care because I learned that I'm beautiful, whether I have love handles or not. And as much as I love my family, they always made comments about, oh, you're getting fat. Oh, you look at these love handles. Oh, look at these cute chubby cheeks. You know, whether I was growing up and even when I was a teenager and an adult. So, and I see them do that to my little cousin sometimes, and I, I just can't be around them. I, I call them out all the time, or I used to try to call them out all the time, but it just took up so much of my energy, and it became really, I came not angry, but really resentful, and it just, it wasn't great. <laughs> and so, yeah, 
you know, they've stopped that now and I think they've learned. Uh, but, it, you know, sometimes you just have to distance yourself with people who don't have the same mentality as you. Um, you know, I love my mom as well. But when I started this podcast, she was very concerned. And she thought I was going to leave my full-time job. But it wasn't. I wasn't going to. But, you know, she just thought that she didn't see the point of it. And she comes from a different generation. And I get her point of view. And I respect that. But then she's also learned to respect me when I set a healthy boundary. And I said, Mom, I appreciate your concern. But this is my decision. This is what I want to do. And yeah, and then now she, I think she gets it. I think, I think she understands that this actually helps people and it's helped me a lot myself. So, you know, the advice that Enda gives and the advice that I give is that you can love your family, but you can distance yourself as well. And so that you actually grow and become your more authentic self and genuine self without their influence, without their guidance, and you figure it out on your own and then you'll be able to learn to set healthy boundaries all right um thank you guys so much for listening and i'm going to leave you with this be honest with your words be kind with your actions be fearless with your heart and be brave enough to be vulnerable thank you for listening lots of love (music) 